Hey, it's David Warrench. Welcome again to the Authentic Dad Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Simon Ravona, a lawyer, a divorce coach, and an all-around just awesome person. We have a really cool conversation about his story, his amicable divorce, and then it veers off to pretty interesting territory into his self-discovery and the importance and difficulty of male friendships. A topic that I did want to cover and we just sort of covered um, not on purpose just happened so thanks Simon uh, if you want to reach out to me it's f-u-r-t-h-u-r dot coach further dot coach please like subscribe give us a five-star review um, fill out the contact page I'd be happy to hear from you if you're interested in coaching if you know someone who wants to be a guest or maybe you want to be a guest so appreciative of everyone's support for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, I'm here with Simon Ravona. Did I pronounce that right, by the way? Yes, perfectly, oh, cool. actually. All right, okay. He's a whole person certified coach, as well as a trained lawyer. Oh, my. A negotiator, a mediator, and an HR consultant. Since completing his own amicable divorce in 2017, he has immersed himself in every possible self-help resource, including books, articles, podcasts, and studies. In 2018, he started Catalytic Coaching Company to help others, especially men, find wisdom, direction, and improvement by looking into themselves, committing to mind shifts, and executing tiny habit changes. His self-help journey is informed by evidence that people, more often men, do divorce alone without a guide, support, hoping uh, hoping lawyers and therapists will help them move on. However, Simon discovered that other community and especially other men are essential to overcoming major life obstacles. In 2017, he started a meetup group, went from zero to 120 members in a month, and he found that people experience divorce almost alone, but wish to find support, wisdom, and a path forward to connecting with others who have thrived despite divorce and it helped him realize that one of Simon's life purposes is to help people discover their own meaning, life purpose, and achievement through internal integration, authenticity practice, self-love, learning, and training. Simon, what's up? What's going on, David? Another lawyer slash coach. <laughs> Always a pleasure. And they can't see it. Simon is a is a is a is a bald lawyer with, with a beard like myself. So it is truly an honor, my friend. Yes. Thank you. Likewise. My <laughs> pleasure. It's Thank an honor you. to meet you. Thank you so much. And um, as every every podcast starts the same way, I, I do want to hear your story. You're a lawyer. You're a coach. You went through a divorce. What? Um, give us give us the cliff notes. Yeah. How'd you land here? Yeah. So. I guess for me, I think the, you know, I kind of went through life like many of us do. I mean, thinking, you know, you have your job, you get married, you have kids, and then suddenly you're in your forties, right? <clears throat> At least that was my experience. And I guess yeah. what I discovered um, around that magical time, I guess it was kind of like between 2015 and 2017 was I wasn't very happy with my situation. And the more work I did, the more I discovered that I really had to like, there were a lot of things that I was not mindful about, was not aware of. And um, a lot of it had to do with what was going on in, inside me, but it was also a lot of environmental things. Um, you know, I reached kind of a plateau at work. Uh, I needed some, I need, I needed, I need some change. I, 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 I think a lot of what I discovered was I wasn't happy also in my marriage Um and it wasn't until I kind of realized, you know, working on the marriage for a while that, you know, I had to make some pretty significant changes in my life to get myself on the right path in the right direction. And I, I really started in earnest in 2015 when I lost a bunch of weight, 2016, 2015. And I just, I, I was sick of like who I, who I was and what I looked like just in the mirror. I was kind mm -hmm. of like disgusted. I was 194 pounds. In my highest, I'm five foot seven, so that should tell you I was I was way overweight. Um, and then you know that that's kind of how things started for me was like I was at this point was like, 
you know, I need, I have a lot of work to do on myself. I'm responsible for my own happiness. What can I do to change things around? Um, and that's kind of, you know, I'm also a father of a now 14 and a half year old. So that was a part of my journey. And, and so I had to make some significant changes to work. My, my job was okay. Um, but my, my home situation, my, my, my marriage, my relationship, just, it was, it was kind of reached the end of the road. And so 2015, 2016, it sounds like is you're starting to realize that and how long had you all been married at that point? Uh, yeah. So the divorce, around the time of the divorce, we were married 14 years. We'd been together wow. for 15. So, you know, and what's remarkable for me is like, of course, I never got married with the idea that I'd get divorced. But I was also really a lot of my internal wrestling had to do with like the idea of giving up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, th- that that's a lot of my struggles in making that decision surrounded well what does that say about me who am i am i going to be stigmatized am i going to be one of those right my parents were still together at that point uh in fact interesting yeah yeah they were together even until my dad passed away last year so my parents my model people most of us model ourselves after our parents consciously or or not Mm -hmm. um were together until my dad passed away yeah now, it's such an interesting belief that people have about that, you know, because as, as I'm sure we've, you've met people that are like, yeah, these people have been together a really long time. They probably shouldn't be. And, you know, it's not for us to judge, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's I guess you can, some people see it as a badge of honor or it's a, a failure or this and this and this, but you're sort of going through these beliefs that sounded like pretty unhelpful. Yeah. And, you know, part of my, I'm, I'm a little bit of, I'm sort of a data, data person. And so mm. one of the things I did was like, okay, well, what, like, what do the numbers say? And they were surprisingly mm. hard to find. Um, I think the CDC keeps some statistics on the f- general sort of failure rate of first marriages. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's, that hovers around the area of about 50%. So one out of every two marriages will end. Okay. In divorce. Uh, and the numbers get worse. So after that, so second marriages, I oh, think it really? increases. Yeah. And then third marriages, it increases even further. So, so the more I was peeling layers back and trying to understand, okay, what's going on macro macro wise, in addition to me, micro wise, am, am I, am I statistic? Is there something I'm failing to do? You know, like I took mm-hmm. the repair, the, the, the job of making the relationship work very seriously, went to therapy, couples mm-hmm. therapy. I went to my own therapy. And I came across so much information, but like none of it was really uh, like leading me to, to, to make things better for myself. It was helping me understand like how I related to the population, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, if you want to call it a failed, if you want to call divorce, it's a failed marriage. You know, that's, that's the first discovery. I guess one of the earliest discoveries I made is I had the language wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I was using really, I was using defeatist, bad, mean language on myself as I was processing it. Because if I made, if I was able to like look at it from a different standpoint, you, I could see myself as having had a a long term, successful long term relationship for about fourteen or fifteen years. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's that's a good run, and you ha- you have one child. Yeah, one child. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually speaking to somebody else on the podcast about the same topic and the same theme that there's I haven't gone through a divorce, but I'm sensing this sort of shame that one person or the other had that you know I I failed or I could have fixed it or I did just there's a stigma or shame that that maybe you were telling yourself. Yeah, there there certainly is a you know, it's like just calling yourself divorced, right? I'm mm. divorced. You know, I was challenging that decision to end my marriage had challenged so many different parts of my life. Because you have to tell people, people ask. Mm, there yeah. are people who you thought were your friends who end up not being your friends. They don't show up. They're disappeared. They, they, they pick sides or just pick. Or is it awkward? Picking sides or all that awkwardness, mm. picking sides, not really having the language around what to do with you really 
um, mm. particularly with me when I, most of my friends were married. Like when you get married, everyone's there, you know, family to celebrate yeah. this incredible moment. And there is no such sort of rite of passage celebration or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. For a divorce, for a breakup, you know, you could, I think in the Japanese culture, when someone dies honorably or dies expectedly, you know, it's not a sudden, there's like a celebration. And a lot of cultures, when there's a death, there's also a remembrance. And, you know, that's one of the discoveries I made. I'm like, wow, it's remarkable that everybody, all these people were there to drink the wine, have a good time and celebrate. Cool. Who's here with me when I'm at the end of this relationship, basically moving out of a home into an apartment? Pretty much nobody. And, you know, that was a horrible, that was a horrible, you know, challenging time for me. Well, it's so interesting because it's not just painful to end this relationship, but as you're saying, it's not just between the the couple, it goes outward. You know, there's a child involved, there are friends, there are in-laws, there are, Mm -hmm. you know, people are asking you, you know, about the relationship and it it, it isn't, there's no other way to say it, it just goes, these things go outward. It isn't just about two people. And that must be, as you're saying, super challenging. You're in an apartment by yourself all of a sudden. Yeah. You go from being married, you know, and then of course, you know, there's all the, there's the legal issues, as you, right. you will know. Yeah. There are the emotional issues. There are the identity issues, the social issues. There, everything has its own, you know, it's like a village of different challenging spaces to navigate as you're trying to redefine who you are. And then if you're so like some people where you're like, well, I'd like to get back in the game and and date again and find Mm -hmm. someone to spend time with, even if it's just casually, you know, for me, I I was out the game for like 15 years. Yeah. So like, yeah, I I can interact with women. Yeah. How do you date? Where do you, where do you date? You know? Yeah. I mean, totally. Like who had profiles 15 years ago, let alone an app. It, it, It was in the early stages. No. Yeah. What um I want to talk about that, but before we go there, there's some. I, it always makes me happy when I mean, if people are going to get divorced, that that you know, as an attorney, you see some ugly stuff. I don't do family law, but amicable. Yours was amicable, mm-hmm. and it it kind of warms my heart to hear that. Can you walk me through a little bit of that and how 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 that worked? Yeah. Like, right. So, good. yeah, amicable. I mean, amicable can be good. Mm-hmm. Um. It certainly drives costs down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is. A, so in my case, amicable meant, you know, she's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I, I know. Oh, she is. Less, yeah. A really mm-hmm. excellent one. If she's listening to this podcast. She's a terrific <laughs> lawyer. The best um, around. The, <laughs> very gifted, actually. And so yeah. oh, when cool. we, we went to mediation and, you know, we were we knew what the issues are. Right. They're mm-hmm. typically surround. I don't know what you know, I kind of like hard for me to always think like a lay person in the sense that like, to me, the two prominent matters of discussion or dispute tend to surround custody and, and property division. Yeah. Well, we both made roughly the same amount. So, you know, um, property division was pretty straightforward. She wanted to stay. I wanted to, you know, I didn't care that much as long as the, the severance and my interest in the equity was adequately compensated so mm-hmm. you know we separated most things fairly amicably we had no dog to fight over you know yeah. and then you know in terms of custody it was our one son and we split 50 50 so mm-hmm. there's no you know so it was very straightforward in that respect but you know sub subtextually i think underneath a lack of dispute and fighting it, it's not always necessarily good right because there were some mm-hmm. other issues later on that kind of um like bubbling under the surface. Yeah. yeah. As things kind of is the, cause I, what I'd like to tell my clients is I know divorce feels like, like the, the goal, a lot of times, even in an amicable divorce is to just kind of sever mm-hmm. and kind of a clean cut. Right. Like if he's a, like, you don't want any nerves hanging out there. Um, but the reality is you're actually, if you have a kid involved or any continued relationship, you're actually creating a new relationship. You're not really severing. Yeah. You're redefining new terms. It's no longer a romantic. Exactly. And so co-parenting is a, its own challenge for both for, for any couple. And so that's what I think became the, you know, became the like the next chapter of that relationship was how do you how do you politely 
co-parent where where both parties may not you know putting sure. it lightly have a, have an agreement around the same things well i'm i'm sure there are bumps you know and and it gets rocky at times but it, it's nice to hear that there wasn't you know some very expensive litigation in which people were were not speaking and all that and i know that happens and sometimes that can't be avoided mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not really making a judgment on that it's just always nice to hear when it's not like that do, do you all live in um, close to each other yeah we live very close um so that it's easy so that my son you know uh school is like informs kind of where i decided to end up living mm-hmm. um and i do think it's quite possible in fact if people knew how little they could get if both parties understood how yeah. how unproductive litigation really is at the end of the day yeah more people would probably resolve things in mediation or consider collaborative laws a better means mm-hmm. of resolving their dispute and look for some alternatives because lit- mudslinging like that in litigation with vicious discovery and maybe even going to trial not only does it jack up costs considerably the damage it does not just to you but you know yeah. to the kids it's not ideal and some of the time, sometimes it goes on for years back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and so i don't wish that upon anyone and i'm so glad that you all were able to to work it out mostly amicable i'm sure was you know nothing is perfect and there were there were troubled waters along the way but yeah i think the interesting thing for me though is like i was able to foresee the that i, yeah. I could foresee that like okay i'm gonna have to pay i'm gonna be buying my own no, no longer dual income i'm gonna be a single dad but what i could never have foreseen which ended up being not a problem actually, but it ended up in initially was scary, scary, you know, very, mm-hmm. uh, very frightening was that was the sort of combination of like, like the change in my identity and the fact that I'd need to forgive myself. Not that I, you know, did anything unfaithful in the marriage, but like, you know, I don't give up. Right. So Mm. like I went through an initial like I'd forgiven her for whatever I thought she was responsible for. You know, like I was like letting go. It's things. It just ended. It's fine. I'm at peace with it. But I came to discover, you know, as I was kind of doing my process is like I had to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you sound like you were having this conversation with yourself, like Simon is not the guy who gets divorced. That's right. that's not me. That wasn't part of my story when I envisioned. <laughs> I was look my parents and your parents. You said weren't divorced. So me, Simon, I'm just I'm just a guy who doesn't do that. And then right. it happened. So yeah, I think like a lot of guys, I'm just like, well, what's broken? How do I fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So the approach was at least when I was trying to fix it, I was like, well, if, maybe if I um, if I try harder. Yeah. Maybe if I do more dishes, maybe if mm. we go on more date nights. And so the discovery, you know, along the way is I love to cook. And so I was cooking after I got divorced and I was in this apartment. It was a nice apartment. I was cooking for myself. That's when I was like, it was a few months afterwards. And I was like, I want to write this dedication in this cookbook to myself. I know it sounds kind of weird. No. So, uh, I, my hand just sort of like, you know, I took the pen to paper in that first page of the cookbook and just wrote. And I don't even remember right now what I wrote, but it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, I, I, I know you tried your best. Mm-hmm. I forgive you and I love you. And, and it was so hard to say that. Wow. And yet to a friend, yeah, I, I could say that all the time, right? Yeah, no, you ha- it sounds like you did sort of a breakthrough of self-compassion right? that you weren't giving yourself. Oh, it felt so freeing once I was able to get there. <laughs> and w- at what point was that when you? I think, okay, so I want to say it was, it was probably three or four months after the, the divorce was final. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at that point, I thought I was actually doing much, much better. And so that's why it was kind of a surprise to me that I felt compelled to do it. And it wasn't even an intellectual exercise, actually. It was something I really needed to tell myself. That's a really nice story. I love that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's really cool. 
you gave yourself. I don't know if I've shared that with anybody permission. before. So David, you're the first. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. You you <laughs> gave yourself some compassion. You talked to yourself like a friend, and you gave yourself permission to forgive and mm-hmm. kind of let go of whatever was kind of charged around around that. Mm-hmm. You're hard on yourself. Yeah, you know, so that's another, yeah, I think a lot of us are actually, yeah. and I, I, I see this a lot of my clients, um, and they, I find that they oftentimes don't have a means of really monitoring or being mm-hmm. aware of, of how they talk to themselves, the language that they use, because it can mm-hmm. be, it can really, inf- it can really kind of predict what's going to happen. It has this uh, quality yeah. of making you believe your own narrative. So if your narrative is self-destructive and negative, you're going to mm-hmm. see yourself that way and project that image to the world. Uh, it's there's like a wearing, great book wearing those glasses. Sorry. Yeah, it's like wearing the lens of that, and that's how you're going to see it. What's the yeah. book? Uh, I don't know if I could say this on the air. Unfuck yourself. I forget the oh, author. He's uh, also Mark, a coach. Um, what's his name? No, you could say fuck. He's it's a Scottish guy, I think. Unfuck yourself. Oh, not Mark Monson or Mark. I don't think so. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, sort of books like that, but that was one that resonated with you. We, we can Google it or whatever. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. uh, I think the point, one of the, one of the, I think one of the takeaways on that was you talk to yourself more than you do mm-hmm. more than you speak to anybody else for starters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what the studies say, but I've heard people quote, you're saying you talk to yourself like 10,000 times a day or some ridiculous number. Let's just say some number X, okay? If yeah. the quality of your conversations with yourself are, are if you don't control your wild mind, okay, sure. and you're going through something horrible, I don't care what it's, you know, how deserved or undeserved it is, the damage that it does to your psyche is truly remarkable and you will live that narrative. Um, and so that's kind of what I think I discovered it partly another thing I discovered when I did that little inscription was like, man, I need to really monitor mm-hmm. how I speak to myself. And it presented this bit of curiosity around, well, how do you do that? Practically speaking, yeah. right? We know how to get dressed in the morning. We know how to present ourselves to the world. That's actually a really interesting question. People say, you know, watch, watch your thoughts and how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and it became one of the, one of the things that I really started to watch just by kind of like journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good way. Yeah. Journaling and, you know, treating yourself, um, kind of being able to split your mind a little bit, like being able to have a part of you that's sort of monitoring and a part of you that, that just acts normally. But that's a really, that's a really hard thing to do, like mentally, I think. Yeah, I'm picturing, um, you know, that there's an observer, you know, mm-hmm. the, the observer is watching these conversations, you know, but not getting involved in them mm-hmm. and not just just watching the watcher. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've heard of these spiritual practices. So um, the observation of, of the mind, but but not not getting involved in the drama or commenting or, you know, there's a certain detachment that has to happen. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you can see the conversations. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the other element, I mean, that's kind of what inspired my choice of catalytic coaching. Right? Like yeah, I, this, I wanted yeah. to wanted to go there because you didn't just get a divorce and have all, and work on yourself and have all of the these insights. You were like, that's some really um, uh, interesting things that you figured out. And one of them, which I really want to hear about, is that men do divorce alone that you found more often than not more often than women what tell me about that yeah so it it became apparent to me over i mean some of this is anecdotal like so i don't have a yeah. lot of data raw reliable double blind like this you know studies to support podcast <laughs> <laughs> but what i noticed is that um men poor a lot of who they are in, in, I guess, in heterosexual marriages, a lot of who they are into that relationship that becomes a dominant primary 
relationship in their lives, especially lately. And yeah. I, and so when that source, you know, that sort of um, support structure evaporates, there aren't a lot of people around. My, in other words, my unique, my experience was not as unique as I had thought it was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men were kind of like floundering, struggling, financially struggling, emotionally, not really aware of where to go for help and really not even, yeah, not, not even being willing actually being kind of predisposed not to ask for help almost. I wonder even if like the friendships and you, you would tell me more about this meetup group and all the things you're doing, the mm-hmm. friendships that people have or had men were maybe not as intimate or helpful as, as they would have hoped, you know, maybe you have a buddy and get a beer and you shoot the shit, but maybe that's not the person or people that you can, you can bear your soul to. Yeah. And that's maybe what you really need when you're going through this stuff. Yeah. And, and I picked up some more like evidence along the way that seemed to point me in that direction. Like there was a, I think it was a Boston Globe article that was saying it. It was an article written about men in their middle age and how many of them are like suffering from loneliness and the, the consequences of like, of a, of a sort of postmodern for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, social structure that was predominantly family focused. And I, apart from the little tidbit, tidbits like that, like I wasn't seeing enough talked about. And so the meetups group, which was open to everybody, I thought, okay. So you started a meetup group. Yeah. I started a meetups group thinking. That's great. That's, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was a way for me to say, there's clearly a need out there. I was post divorce. I was doing really well. I was like, man, I am looking back and I'm, seeing myself and I wish there was somebody there, maybe even a group, yeah. not just a lawyer who was there to like, you know, help me with the legal aspects and move on. What I found was I couldn't find really much of a support mm-hmm. group out there from, I, I didn't need, I didn't need a therapist there to validate my feelings and, you know, that kind of a thing, not to disparage therapists that have been instrumental in my life. Mm-hmm. What I needed to hear is from experienced people who had been through it. What I needed to hear was, or I wished I could hear was it's going to be fine. Yeah. Here are the things you're going to see. You might notice and you might need to think about for yourself, but you're going to be fine. Right. So because I couldn't find that, I was like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can supply that need. I don't, I don't, yeah, you needed a community. So you created your own. And and Mm -hmm. what's important about that is a sense of belonging and, and support group. And that's, that's different than, than individual therapy for sure. Yeah. Sense of belonging and maybe even, it could be dual purpose because if you have people in the group who, you know, um, experienced this and succeeded through it or thrived after divorce, they could also have a way of giving back. And so mm-hmm. they could, pres- you know, they could give back, they could feel significant as well and belong to this group as well. And so it, the, the group kind of went from zero to 120 very quickly. And but, you're in uh, Seattle. So this was somewhere in Seattle. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and that's a, in fact, there was a reason why we ended up, I ended up ending it was because mm-hmm. I couldn't, it was hard to find space. This is all before COVID. Before COVID, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, space was an issue, but it was seriously like people, a lot of the people in the group, some people were, were felt okay, but I, the feedback I got was tremendously positive. People were saying, it was so nice to, to, to meet other people who were divorced, who are mm-hmm. in different stages. And of course you also have the entire spectrum of experiences around divorce, everything from, Oh, I have an amicable d- divorce to we have, you know, we're going to have a, a lot of fighting, right. It's going to be protracted and expensive. And what do I do? And narcissism came up a number of times and, you know, people were in various emotional stages um for some people it was like a shock it was a brand new thing their partner said hey this is where i'm at i'm done whereas other people it was like it had been dying slowly for the last 20 years <laughs> well i'm curious about the did you facilitate it or how did the format go and how did you know a bunch bunch of people guys meeting and you know yeah. that <laughs> how do you organize yeah. that so it works <laughs> well yeah that's a good point so um what I did was I created some PowerPoint slides, just kind of explaining mm-hmm. like, this is what you know about divorce. This is all above board. Okay. And then this is what you, what people aren't telling you about divorce. Here's how, here's how so your you, life is. You came at it as like a coach. 
like a coach. And then I, mm -hmm. as I went through the slides, I just kind of went around the room, you know, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on this? How, you know, how, what's your experience? Like, oh, cool. and people just started opening up and then they're asking for advice. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm just like, well, what do other people in the room think? And it was intended to just really just kind of like, um, twist open the can to just get people to feel safe, comfortable and, and understand that they're like, they can focus on what they can control. Right. And they can focus on the fact that there's other people in the room exactly where they are or, or close to where they are. Cause see, that's the thing too. Like you can't jump on LinkedIn. I mean, Facebook is one space, but man, I found mm -hmm. Facebook to be problematic in other ways. There's, you know, the total lack yeah. of discipline in some of these Facebook groups, um, you know, you it can be both me, freeing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but then, yeah. So this was, this was a way to like, you know, I'm not here to give you legal advice, but you know, here's how linear the legal process is, right? You file, mm. you, you can do discovery or, or, you know, at some point you can do mediation or collaborative law, but eventually if you're st the parties don't resolve the matter between each other, then they end up going, eventually going to trial and getting a judgment. The court will order you to do X, Y, Z. And that's fine and good. Go talk to your lawyer who can help you. Or if you're on your own, that's Wow. You know, you're filing, that's fine. But what you don't know is all this here. So you know, gave him some practical advice and then some of some of the wisdom that you've you've gleaned. And the coaching certification that happened after mm -hmm. the divorce is is that sort of the catalyst? The divorce was yeah. the catalyst for the coaching? Okay. Yeah, because the I mean it's it's sort of I'm being really honest when I say this, like the divorce opened up a lot of really other great opportunities, one of mm -hmm. which was it, it, it forced me into a period of self-discovery and learning that I kind of wish I had done a lot earlier yeah. even before I got married. So I'm curious about that. Do you want to tell me um, what did that look like? Any specific practices or, you know, you mentioned the, the, the one book and you had the meetup group and what else was going on? Cause it sounds like you, you really just sort of blew the lid off and just kind of went deep on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, so if I could just take a step back and just sort mm -hmm. of present you with the, like, like some eye popping questions that I had, which was mm -hmm. how much, you know, the state is interested in licensing people, providing them a license so that they can get married, right. Marriage license. Mm -hmm. And then you get your certificate. Uh, the, the state is very interested in making sure that when you drive, when you get a license in pretty much any other situation that you demonstrate to the state that you're not going to hurt someone or that you have the basic competencies, yeah. whether it's driving or, you know, even in Washington state, for example, if you want a concealed carry permit, you're going to need to do certain things and you're going to need to background, pass a background check. Unlike that, a marriage license other than age, pretty much just sign here mm. and you're good to go. So right. the thing that in retrospect, there's no training, I wish no <laughs> training, zero, zero training. And, and not only zero mandated training, and this will make sense in a second, but like, there's really no popular movement, uh, maybe mm. except for maybe some pastoral, some religious related coaching or something. There's really no prominent, like, Oh, you're going to get married. Like, have you taken a moment to consider how you were raised, what attachment style you have, yeah. what your personality type is, how this relates to the other person? Do you understand that you're signing up for a permanent thing? Do you understand? So there's really zero education. 100% like, true. Yeah. I like laughing. financial literacy. Yeah. Because you when we got married, we're Jew, you know, I'm Jewish and the rabbi like sort of offered some of that. We met with him a few times before we got married and I, Young David Warrench was just like, yeah, we're good, buddy. Thanks for the, I just basically was like, I don't think so. How old were you when you got married? I was only 26. And 26, 26. So in retrospect, maybe if I was a little bit more mature and less of a prick, he could have given me some, but I didn't want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I, I certainly would have batted that away. My oh. mid twenties too. Yeah. Um, I would, if that was offered to me, but I guess, my lament if there if we can characterize it as that is that no man even in your 20 even in your 30s even in your 40s unless you understand how the human mind works how relationships work and you have developed mm -hmm. the skill sets and these are skill sets okay how to fight totally. as a couple how to repair as a couple 
how do you know what the garments call bids for connection how do you become a master if you yeah i mean i if i could tap myself on the shoulder if i was my current self and i could teleport myself to the past and tap myself on the shoulder i would say simon take the gottman class there's a lot of material already out there and content already out there do it with your spouse Mm -hmm. and commit to learning how to get along and learning how to be in a a good partner in a relationship it is bilateral develop the skills and then you increase your chance of success tremendously sure um because once you hardwire some bad practices into a relationship and you have some dynamics it can be very difficult to break that and that's what happens sometimes for people how old were you when you got married uh, let's see. No, I kind of put this in the back and put that in the back of my mind. I think I was 26 also. Yeah, it was like the, right out of law school. The reason is, I asked that is because, mm-hmm. um, going back. So I go to college and then I meet my wife, like while I'm in law school and I basically like go to college and then I like move back home. And then from my parents' house, I move, you know, in with my future wife. I'm saying like this sort of ba- whatever habits I learned as, as a child, you know, there was really, it just kind of carried over into our relationship, our marriage. And if I had taken the Gottman class, maybe <laughs> it would, and, and we're still together. It's fine. But yeah, you know, I heard like, as, as any relationship, you kind of learn the hard way when these patterns infiltrate, you know, your current space and, and all this stuff goes way back, you know, you mm-hmm. education, way of relating attachment style course. And uh, yeah can get pretty rough and yeah and I mean, a lot of it's in most of it's unconscious and and stuff right you know it's not really your say it's not your fault but it's there are patterns absolutely patterns there are i mean i find myself kind of re-experiencing some of this when i'm raising my son because we sometimes don't get along i know it comes as a surprise of a teenage boy yeah right? Shocking. um but like yeah i'm i'm i have moments uh where i'm not the best dad Right. You know, where I lose my patience and stuff. Um, but I really have to try to like, I really have to, fo- I can't control him, right? I can only control myself. So I really find myself having to step back and re-examine and re-tool how I interact with him so that I'm mindful of my triggers so that I come back to a place of patience so that I take a break when I'm flooded. Yeah. And these are things that frankly are being really tested now but things that I really should have mastered or at least practiced better at the early stages of my relationship. And it's never too late. Never too late. Anybody can, and everybody can like attend a Gottman course or any couple can go. I mean, you're only like, like what, 65 now? 70? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, there, there are a lot of benefits if I was 65 that would come with nothing, you know, between the senior discount and social security, I might, it doesn't yeah. sound too bad. You, you know, like I have to work on your beard barely. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a youngster, but in some respects, but, but you're absolutely right. Like these, insofar as these are skills that we could have, we can master. I think that that, that little reorientation is critical to understanding that like both people have responsibility in the relationship. And instead of what happens a lot of times in dysfunctional relationships, where we're tempted to say the other person is not this and the other person is not that being able to operate from a place of saying, well, this is what's going on with me. And this is what I have to own. This is what I have to improve. These are the skills that I need to develop. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that actually, the Gottman stuff actually, I think, blends well into friendships for men as well. And this is something that men have, um, don't consciously talk about. Like, I don't, I don't talk I, to my guy friends about bids for connection. For so example. glad you brought that up because I wanted to do a whole episode about the importance of male friendships. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't talk about bids for connection, but I do, <laughs> do find as I've gotten older, it, um the friendships with with other men has been more important and i thankfully as as i grow and become more comfortable with myself and i'm not afraid of vulnerability and spilling my soul that i you know sort of you you find your tribe Mm -hmm. and it's been not not to say you can't have women friends um but it's been um it's different and it's been um been a real source of of joy and mm-hmm. in the last in the last few years and i don't know i think part of it i wasn't there maybe a few years ago is because i wasn't uh really good with vulnerability and i was kind mm-hmm. of afraid to open up and 
be myself and especially with men it was I just hid behind humor like I was it was a funny guy and I had friends but it didn't go much deeper okay do you think there's a generational explanation or is this is it sounds like you're saying it's unique yeah. to you partly but I don't know maybe I mean I grew I grew up like probably like you in the 80s and 90s and yeah I don't I think I think like my kids are like seem way more open about everything mm-hmm our family is way more open than my family was. And I do think that is generational for me. I think it was just growth. I just, just didn't, I was, I was a little um, close, a little anxious, a little closed and we evolve. And then and part of that process was sort of um, as learning the skill of connection, how to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. It's been really great. I think that's, yeah, that's an, an interesting thing that like divorce or not divorce, but, making quality organic friendships as men yeah is i found i find it harder to do now um mm-hmm. partly because i think and maybe i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on it but partly i think it's because um i i don't it's it I, i've mentioned this before family is very dominant but you know between family and work I do think there's a generational element at play where there, there are things that guys don't really seem to do like they used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like guys used to hang out like and talk to each other at the pool hall or yeah. over beers. And, you know, I think although social media is there, it, it seems to have, it's, it seems to be attempting to replace, but not replacing really that in-person organic friendship uh that men really i think kind of need for not just well-being but really for survival and i think part of i mean it's a lot of work right because you have to as an as a person with a child and a job you have to take time out of your schedule just logistically right Mm -hmm. plan something to meet at a particular place in a time i'm I'm saying forget Mm -hmm. about social media like if you're Mm -hmm. saying we're gonna meet this place especially forget about covid for now let's say in normal times or meet someone and just go to a bar i think people still do that i still i still did i used to do that (laughs) and um you know and then you have to work the next day sometimes and so it's like a big event for like a 40 something Mm -hmm. person (laughs) to leave the house and do all that so i think that's that can be a barrier um so but yeah i don't think for me social media i'm not a social media guy i like the phone Mm-hmm. I like, um, you know what? I always try to integrate it because as a very, you know, we're, we're in the trenches, I guess, with teenage preteen kids and, and all that. We're not retired yet. So <laughs> I, I try to, I am self-employed, but I do try to integrate it. Like, you know what? I don't really have time for a whole thing. Hey, why don't we just get a coffee for half an hour? Or, you know, I'll, I'll call you. We'll just catch up for 40, 30 minutes or um, well, I'll have a beer, but you know, really I got to leave, you know, nine o'clock. And um, it's better than nothing. And, yeah. I, and I try to just kind of make it, you know, I have other things going on and you do what you can do. Yeah, it sounds like you're both intentional, but uh, of the of the need and to, to make time and space for your friendships. But you're you're also like trying to balance that and creating boundaries to say, well, this is what my limit is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, because, you know, I. I do have to usually work and on the weekends are usually held, you know, with kids and, and family. And, um, what, uh, where was I going with this? It's not that easy. Like when you're 20 and single or in college, yeah, I, think I would imagine I th- yeah, not a big deal. Yeah. So the, the existing friendships is like, you know, if you have history, it's some it's oftentimes easier to just like press you know flip a switch meet and mm-hmm. hang out but but i guess what i find challenging oh, is yeah. making well, new friendships now that's different <laughs> now maybe yes. maybe you're wealthy and like you're you're you know it's an embarrassment of friendship friendship no riches no 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 but i think the, the <laughs> but, new friendships totally different genre right it's completely different because and that's where where i think it can be a little hard for some some guys to navigate it yes and it's sort of semi-relevant to divorce because like i felt like when i was married my bucket was always full maybe not mm-hmm. necessarily full the way i wanted to be and i'm referring specifically to the fact that i found myself having to interact a lot with my 
then wife's husbands. Mm-hmm. Even though I did not necessarily, frankly, give a shit or interact or, you know, I, I think you're, you're then yeah. you're talking about the couple friends, couple friends. Yeah. But yeah. like, yeah, that like where what what happened when you're in a couple sit like you're that's a couple, always a problem. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's not working out. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. it's like I find it find ah, myself yeah. making excuses like, ah, to say shit, not that. Yeah, uh, lawnmower. I don't want to talk about <laughs> fucking lawnmower anymore or insurance. <laughs> well, you it's know? like kids' friends, like kids' parents. Like some of them are great, and some like, oh, now that guy really <laughs> not to be like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's where I like. That's where like my really good, you know, friends are such a treasure, mm. and um, because because I find it difficult to even now like adequately create enough space and time for for either nurturing new friendships yeah. or really even maintaining some of the locks in ones because it takes yeah. a lot of time. And I don't have any good answers for the new friends. I do, I do have a friend I'm thinking of. He listens to this. Uh, he's a divorce guy, and he. Even now in the pandemic, he's he big on the meetups. He he likes like ultimate frisbee and softball and you know, there's a million mm-hmm. of them. And he's met like a lot because you know, it's shared interests mm-hmm. and you go enough times and he, you know, afterwards after the game or whatever they're doing, they uh, they go get a drink or they hang out and and that seems like a cool thing to do. Um, yeah, I think you're onto something. I think that's another kind of there's the social media platform, whatever, or like but like another great way to meet guy friends is to do similar things yeah um i've met all my friends on tinder <laughs> <laughs> i know they're hot yeah do you no, know. is and i hope it's not too personal what are you dating someone now are you on the yeah. market what's going down yeah i'm dating someone now and she's amazing um a really wonderful person has her own you know post divorce story in life is she a lawyer and i feel very lucky no okay. no never again nope <laughs> no i mean bless the profession yeah, yeah yeah but uh no i i i find myself gravitating toward um kind of women who are more in like who are more the nurturing caring type very um, nice so yeah but how, and, how long have you guys been uh almost about three years now I'm a very nosy yeah. person. No, no, it's good. No, three, so, also, it's a podcast. So you just yeah, yeah. Me. No, no, totally. It makes sense. So I feel <laughs> very years, fortunate. That's pretty solid. Yeah, exactly. And I feel very fortunate that I found someone who I connect with so well. But, you know, that doesn't, it's interesting because it is, it's, it's nice to not have a, a source of stress in my life. Mm-hmm. For me, the main source of like challenge now is at this stage in my life is really parenting a teenage boy. Yeah. Oy. You know who who is um, who has his own challenges. He's dealing with his own health challenges, but like, you know, talk about presenting in front of your face like a mirror about who you are and who your father was, and what your values are as a father. Um, I think you can relate to this, although your kids are I think I think your kids are younger, right? It's starting to get a little rough out there. Yeah, they're. 12 and 9, but I can see 12 and nine. it's getting a little brutal. Yeah, I found my 12-year-old to be much more what's the word I'm looking for? Parentable, I guess, mm-hmm. at 12. Mm-hmm. But there was when he hit puberty, there was like a shift and that's been, that's been I think that that is like now the source, like the challenging, most challenging part of my life now because mm-hmm. um you know, he's a sweet kid. He's very smart, but he just does not buy into the whole school thing. And is he, is he, is he remote virtual? Yeah, he's remote. And that that's made a, a not a great situation much worse because it took the social element out of it. Yeah. And so I have this such this fear and concern for him as he's entering high school. And I'm like, man, where do I fit? Like, I'm cool with where my life is. And I'm glad where my life is. And I've got, you know, you know. A person oh, in my life that with this shit. I thought I had but, it together. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, it's like it reminds me of the Mark Twain, Mark Twain quote, which is you know the, the one that I love, and I'm probably botching it, but more or less it goes something like this: 
when I was 16, I thought my man was the dumbest, my, my father was the dumbest man on earth. And when I turned 23, I wonder how smart he got, how he got so smart in seven years. Mm. I hope that happens. Yeah. I hope it doesn't take <laughs> seven, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could use a, a little bit of an intellectual boost. Lord knows. Mm. I mean, heck. So he's, he's the main challenge in my life. But in, in terms of like, you know, relationships, like I, it's also another thing where I felt like post-divorce, I had to learn how to make friends and get along with other guys that were not, you know, that were either not in my life before yeah. or were not connected to my family. Because in my experience, and this is, I don't know how true this is for everybody else, but in my experience, the divorce blew everything up. Yeah. As well as the male friends that I were quote unquote friends, most of whom just were like, you know, disappeared. Well, it radically shifted. It sounds like everything for you, including these friendships. That's I'm sad to hear that, that these so-called friends disappeared. I, I think, you know, I, I've chosen to just sit back and not fault them anybody for yeah. that. Um, I want to say that it's probably a confluence of their just not knowing how to engage with me. Mm -hmm. Combination of that to not caring, possibly. But another element is maybe they just don't want to be disloyal to their wives, who sided with the yeah the, the their friend woman. Um, but you know that's the thing. You just kind of like dust yourself off, and and I know that's awkward, but I don't like the side thing. I just I yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had one couple friend who were like, they were cool, but but most most of them just like, I mean, when I say dropped off, I mean not a word, not to say how are you doing, right? Hey, yes. I'm not taking, oh, no, I'm taking any sides or whatever, but like, just wanted to see you're doing. I hope you're doing well. Um, Six and months then, later, they're at your meetup group. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, uh, I know, right? Exactly. Oh, you we, know. Hey man, can you talk? <laughs> Yeah, can I bend your ear? Oh, uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things where it's like, well, I you know, I how do I um how do I make these new friends? And you know, it's still kind of like it's still kind of like a um a work in progress, but but like I it's like you said, those boundaries that in your regular life still are there. I still have a job, I'm still a parent, I still have a you know uh um other things that I do, um, but uh, but it remains kind of an open uh, question. Well, it, it sounds it's important. It it's a priority, but also the reality is, it sounds like you're being hard on yourself. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's yeah, well, timing and, a, and it's hard yeah. to find the right tribe, right? Because we're all um, to connect with the right people. I don't I don't think that's easy at all. Um, I'm I'm certainly like a strange person who requires you know, you know i don't for example i don't think this is strange i don't i don't know where you fall on the, the i don't have anything against sports mm -hmm. i and i played it as a kid and i used to from baltimore I used to go to the oil games and everything mm -hmm. i don't really follow it now so much and um i think a lot of men still in this day and age think if you're if you're a guy that you must know about sports and i find <laughs> mm -hmm. like people that move in the neighborhood or neighbors they'd be asking me oh did you see that game and i don't know what the hell they're talking about i don't mm -hmm. know what game i don't know what season we're in and um it's still like my whole family they're really into sports and they know and then i think they look at me as like like i'm a weird person so that's always a, that's always been a challenge historically for me with with and i have guy friends who, who like sports but um it seems like a really big thing to connect on that i am not able to Mm -hmm. oh. yeah sports uh you know like i like i have so many different interests i, I don't have diagnosed adhd but i kind of have my suspicions you know but like yeah you, I love you need to find arts. a guy who's into gottman john gottman yeah guys exactly who <laughs> <laughs> therapist types um or like art or yeah you know like political theory or things like that like yeah, the, the unfuck yourself book club <laughs> exactly how are you how are you going to find i mean i guess i could go to things but the point i'm trying to make is you're absolutely right like there are, appear to be wide doors that 
guys are supposed to walk through and then there are <laughs> other doors that are just either really small or just not they're kind of hidden um but what i found to be the most the least the, the or the characteristic that made my male friendships so uh unfulfilling was the inability or failure of these guy friends i'm talking about the past mostly to go deep on any subject yep like it, you know they could go they really wanted to just hit a topic and kind of move on and like you said sports and maybe other practical things but i don't recall when i was married another guy friend ever that was in that social circle ever asked me how are you are you okay mm-hmm. how are you feeling right uh there was a just general like i thought socially accepted and appropriate discounting mm-hmm. of half of my existence if we were to say your mental health your internal health is as valuable or as important as say your physical health and so i guess that's another thing that i value about my current friendship with my guys and you talked about intimacy and i'm kind of curious what you how you define it what that what that means to you as in your friendships but uh you know i feel like my current guy friends actually do mean when they say how are you they do want to hear really what's going on they want an update yeah. And they want to share as well. And that is a difference for me. As the kids say these days, they're they're seeing you and they're holding space for you. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, I use yeah. the term everyone says you hold space, yeah. hold space. I like I hear term. that a lot. I use the term hold space. Yeah. And and be seen. And uh yeah, no, for me it's warts and all, you know, being able to discuss fears, anxieties, um any anything really. Um to, to be able to share the things that I'm afraid to share, knowing the person's not going to judge me or support me and uh, is, is, is there, you know, that's, that's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. The vulnerability. Um, yeah. And just, just to be yourself, whatever that entails in the moment. Yeah. That, that changes um, whatever, you know, whatever mood I'm in. Uh, yeah, because, you know, when it's it's always different when hanging out with people like this conversation veered off into a really cool area. I was going to um, so I was tell people that, Simon, when you sign up for your newsletter, you have all of these really great tips mm-hmm. and sort of like checklists and explanations of, of, you know, having an amicable divorce and whatnot. And what we'll do is we'll direct people to that because we don't have time for it. But I, I want to acknowledge it was really good. That's where we we're going to go. We don't have to because this just turned into something else, which is really cool. Why I say that is because uh, I don't know, man. Friendships like jazz, you know, you share, I share, and that we sometimes we we talk about WWF wrestling in the eighties. I have a friend who's really into like, but like old school, and then sometimes we talk mm-hmm. about you know his his sex life. So it just depends, and that's cool. Like it does. It's not ever one thing or the other. Um, it's sometimes, awesome. Yeah. Sometimes it's just messing around and sometimes it's man i'm having a rough time so yeah no all the above absolutely and that phrase holding space i mean when somebody can when when you can share things with with a with a person and know that they're going to still call you and you guys are cool no matter what you share that's that that's that level of friendship that i really value and appreciate that there's still that there's that continuity, that connection, despite whatever crappy thing is going on in your life or great thing is going in your life, we're still going to be around. You know? And that is a rare gift. So who, if, who, whoever among you has it, please cultivate that and tell that person that you appreciate them and spend time talking to them and asking, how are you? Because it's totally worth it, you know, we're all busy and the job will always hopefully, you know, your, your work will be your work and it'll be there. And amongst the chaos, you sort of have to carve out the time. All right. That's my rant. No, I agree. <laughs> and by the way, your glasses are really cool. Normally I oh, wear thanks, glasses. Man. I just didn't feel that inspired today. I wanted my, give my, mm. the bridge of my nose a break. I, but I, I like do con- I use clear. contacts, but after oh, yeah. a while they get to be a pain in the ass. It's probably the mask though. The, the fogging is another stuff you can buy, but they, they always fog. Yeah, the fogging. I, I'm I'm so excited. To, I mean, I'm I'm curious, kind of like how COVID 
what the numbers will say relative to like people's marital experience when they've yep. been quarantined together for so many months. The ones who didn't particularly care each other care about each other to begin with probably yeah. didn't fare as well. <laughs> but uh, the, the human meadow is always fascinating. There will be babies. There will be divorces. There will be, you know, marriages that got better and deeper marriages mm-hmm. that went worse. There are, you know, people that are very, very lonely. And some of them are my friends and I feel for them because they're like, I haven't talked to a human today. And then sometimes I'm like, Oh God, I'm so tired of talking to humans. I'm surrounded by humans. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's always, of course it's both. We, you know, we need solitude and humans, but it's, it's the whole meadow. Yeah. Are you an introvert? I'm an extroverted introvert where like I get a lot of energy from, let's say this conversation I'm having a great time and this is totally who I am. And then afterwards I'm going to be like, Oh man, I need to go to sleep. That it, it, um, it, it there's an energy, it, I get energy and then I also get drained by people mm-hmm. so I can be around. I don't really think this is that be around people for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of shut off I'm like, okay, that I've, sure. I've had enough. I've had enough where I know some people that just can't get enough. I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. I gotta have boundaries. I gotta quiet. I gotta take my walks. I have to get enough sleep. I have to be hydrated or else I'll get, get a headache and, um, so before we go, we should probably yeah. wrap it. Tell me um, where, where you can find you. And then if there's any other recommendations and stuff, some going on over there. What's going on? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, a little distracted. No. Where no, no you worries. can find me is on <laughs> catalyccoaching.co. And yeah. um, you can also email me at simon at catalyccoaching.co. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. C-O, not C-O-M. Got you, um, man. And uh, yeah, that's the, probably the easiest way to just send me a message. And, any uh, uh, any final words of wisdom? Any other books, practices, recommendations that you yeah, want to throw absolutely. out there? I know that it's probably not a question. We should. That's a long question, but whatever you got, throw it out. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, one book I really encourage people to read. Um, before they get married is if you're in my office, it's too late. It's written by a divorce lawyer. Last name is Paxton P A X. I think it's P A X T O N, but it could be P A X S T O N. He's a Canadian divorce lawyer and he kind of gives you a lot of advice on, you know, how to make your, how to, how to make your marriage kind of work from, mm-hmm. it's sort of like going to a mechanic and getting car advice based on what the, kind of cars and mechanic is fixed before uh i think it's a really wise thing um cool and then title. anything i thought it was pretty cool, <laughs> cool title, i encourage yeah. you to read it if you haven't read it yet because it's uh, again it's a lawyer uh if nothing else yeah you know that's um, what i need mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah fill your time with more <laughs> more information and conflict but um and then anything if, if people really want to improve the quality of their life um they really should invest in their life either by by getting help in whatever manner you know therapy whatever or hiring coach but also just like learning about how their brain how a human brain works there's a lot of content you you are a fan of um esther perel i am as well because i feel like she presents really important questions as yeah you know questions she sort of poetically articulates the problem (laughs) yeah and i think understanding what the problem is this is so complex like the modern life of a man like so much has changed in the last 50 to 60 years so she really brings like to late a lot of those those Mm -hmm. tensions um and then of course i mentioned the godmans but i would say if you're interested in really having a good relationship with someone then you and your partner should master some of the techniques and tools that the godmans teach You could take a course there in Seattle. The caveat with the Gottman, mm-hmm. I, I, I like them and I've read some of their books. It's, it's like very, which is a good thing, research-based. Mm-hmm. And the one book I read was like the most dense thing. I was like, oh my God, what am I? But it was <laughs> very helpful. Yeah, but, it is. It but can it's heavy be duty. Dense. I mean, they're, they're like very, re- I mean, it's all research, which is probably yeah. a good thing. All research can be a little overwhelming, can mm-hmm. but... Just like with any, see, that's the thing about reprogramming ourselves. Like 
if you want different outcomes in your life, are you willing to retrain yourself, reprogram yourself mm -hmm. to get the different outcomes? And so that's one re resource I would just put out there. Um, but apart from those, to me, I think those are the most valuable. There's also a ton of other content out there. If you're, you're interested in like TED Talks are pretty good starting points mm -hmm. for people. So. Yeah, I think it's a blessing to live um, with all of this content. It's for someone like me, probably like you, it's a little overwhelming to, to decide what to listen to and mm -hmm. to have the time. And, but it's nice. It wasn't like this even, you know, just a few years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, remarkably, I don't talking. think, yeah, you too. I actually think those resources are great and you can even get them for free. So if, even if you don't want to spend money, you know, they have the library, no. you have the internet, you can listen to a podcast, you can, go on you can go on YouTube. I'm sure there's interviews. Listen to you, yeah. And listen to the Authentic Dad podcast. <laughs> Bringing you the best content every week or whenever I have time. Um, Absolutely. So uh, very nice to meet you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's fun. Likewise, really David. Kind of cross that topic off my list, the male friendship. Nice. And, and have a good, it's, uh, it's uh, what, five o'clock over there. Yeah, and you painted past eight, man. I, yeah, man. Uh, good for you. I appreciate so it. Have, you can take a yeah. big fat nap. Yeah, have a great night, and uh, we will uh, hopefully stay in touch. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. All right, David. You too. You. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Simon Ravona. I really enjoyed meeting him. Simon, I appreciate your time, and I really appreciate his vulnerability and openness and sharing his story, his wisdom. I thought that one veered off into some important topics that perhaps are not discussed enough these days. My information, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach. Please like, subscribe, five-star review. I really hope everybody is well, safe, healthy, and appreciate everyone listening. Take care. I hope you get something out of this.